0: Hello Texans and welcome to the podcast and I really love our guests today. Is it much too much for me to say that I love the voice of the Colts? It's not really love but in a professional sense I really like this guy Matt Taylor who took over last year and has done a good job calling Colts games and he's a good guy to talk to to get to know the team better. And even though I hate the Colts like poison, like many of you know, but I always say it's a healthy sporting context hate, not real hate, because we don't want that in our lives. But sports hate is fine, because it's just the place for it. I love talking to Matt Taylor and James Palmer from NFL Network, who I really enjoy visiting with. I mean, this guy used to work for CSN Houston, does a great job with NFL Network covering all the teams. and. It's fun to talk to him because he goes everywhere and meets with everybody from just about every team in the league. So he's a wealth of information. So let's have it. And Freddy's Frozen Custard and steak burgers they've got it. They've got the food truck to come to your place to give you that great taste. The original double steak burger is a real game changer. And they've got 16 to 18 Houston area locations. So check them out. Freddy's. Original frozen custard and steak burgers. Okay, let's get to it now. James Palmer from NFL Network up first, and I begin by saying we just don't talk enough like this. It's the first time in a while that James and I have had a conversation like this in the Hyundai Texans radio studio.
1: I know, and it has been far too long in my opinion. Yes. Probably not yours, but it's mine. no. It's been too long, Mark.
0: And you've been here, but it's just, you know, people get busy. I mean, I want to drag you in here. And you're doing your TV hits on well, NFL Network. Well,
1: usually I'm on NFL Network doing the hits in the room next to you. And every time you walk by, you kind of give me like a, hey, and then the door slams when you get past me. It's usually what happens. <laughs> so I'm assuming that's not a very welcoming sign to come in no, here and
0: chat. <laughs> we just have so much going on here. You know that. It's I like know. 24-7 content generation, uh, hey, which you do as give well. people what they want. Yes, yeah, so here you are covering the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts on Thursday. Is this the AFC South Championship game?
1: Yeah, I mean this. I mean, we were talking about this on NFL Network. Teams and players don't like to throw around the must-win right type of you know whatever you want to call it. There is no fear in this building of saying this is a must-win. <laughs> I mean, Hop said it after the game in Baltimore. Wit told us. Yesterday in the locker room, he wasn't scared to say it. and I don't think anybody is uh, as important as this is. I mean, mm-hmm. you've already lost the first one. I was there. You were there uh, in Indianapolis. And now you go, you go two back if, if you lose yeah. in the division. I think it's tough. And it's funny. Like, Tennessee's sitting there at 5-5, five and five, like, behind both these teams. It's Right there. It's wild. And I did their game. In in uh at home in Nashville against the against the uh, the Chiefs and I'm standing there on the sideline and I'm like I'm gonna be interviewing Tyreek Hill as soon as uh, we hit zeros and then I'm like they botch the the snap right in front of me and I go guys we might have to go to the other side of the field <laughs> and Ryan Tannehill is like man he has changed everything there I yep. mean I watched them go into their tunnel and Vrabel was just waiting for for Ryan to come off the field after he did his interview and the two just had like the world's largest hug before they got into the locker room and it's like it took a lot of stones I think for Mike to flip it because Marcus Marietta is a very well liked dude in that locker room great guy great person but to say like this is the switch we need to make and it is it has worked in it, Tennessee. It, I
0: mean, what you had to go through there reminds me of switching the champagne from the Red Sox clubhouse yeah, to the Mets back to in to the 86. other one, right? You know, it, was yeah. just like,
1: it was free-for-all. Like, who am I going to get on the field? I ended up talking to Adam Humphreys because that was his only catch of the game was the touchdown catch that won Oh, it. my gosh. And uh, I ended up finding him and just started talking with him because – you know, I figured he'd be a good one to grab, but it was it was a wild one there. Uh, and so, yeah. Do you think the Titans crazy. have a
0: shot to get no, back into this no, division race? I, no,
1: I don't think they're as good as either the Texans or or the Colts. I don't. But just the funny, the reason I brought it up is like you say how important this game is, and we all know how nuts this game is. And you go too big, and then you just look and you're like, oh dang! Like the Titans are five and five, right? But right ahead of these two teams that we all say are the two best teams in the division, right? And then just they're not that far behind right now record-wise
0: from a national perspective is the division underrated properly rated how is it rated James
1: uh, well things have really swayed this year right I mean we thought we thought the Eagles were going to come out like gangbusters and it was going to be nuts in the NFC East between them and the Cowboys and now the Eagles have struggled and um, I think the AFC West is a little bit better than we thought it would be with the way the Raiders are playing. Yeah. I think we thought the Chiefs would just wipe everybody out. I mean, if the Chiefs lost that game on on Monday night, they were they were not going to be in first place. Right. Like the Raiders. And so I have that game, actually, in two weeks, uh, Chiefs-Raiders. That'll be a good uh, one. Which will be a good one. So uh, in this division, I, I do think it's, it's kind of where everybody thought um, with what Andrew did right before the start of the season. You know, I think – Everybody was going to go. I think this is this is the Colts uh, with the way they played down the stretch. Nobody, I think, in Houston would deny the way they played the second half of the season that that would roll into this year, and the Colts would be a really tough team. Um, I don't think, I am roundabout way to say, I don't think the Colts are getting enough credit for the team that I think they are. Right. Um, and I throw in the Andrew thing about that. Like mm-hmm. once he stepped away, I think everybody just kind of turned their back on the Colts and just stopped paying attention. But Chris Ballard has built a brilliant team. Like they are built so well from the inside out, and it's it's maybe they're not getting enough attention. I think the Texans were getting enough attention leading into that Ravens game. I mean, we everybody from NFL Network on down build that as the game of the season so far. Right? Uh, it did not turn out the way Texans fans would have wanted it to. But nope. that shows you the, and I think Deshaun has a lot to do with that. the the national attention the Texans were getting.
0: Yeah, and they'll have more national attention next Mm -hmm. week when they take on the New England Patriots. But, all right, so the Colts beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. I was at that game. You were at that game. You Mm -hmm. mentioned Mexico City and the Chiefs beating the Chargers, but – Boy, that was really iffy for a while. I mean, nope. Phillip Rivers throwing his fourth pick, driving for a game-tying score and all of that. The Chiefs look a little shaky to me on the defensive side of the ball, maybe. What do you make of them Little is, an,
1: I think, an understatement on, on them defensively. I think, you know, when I covered that game where the Colts played them, I, I didn't know why pregame, but I was talking to Frank Reich, and he was like, you have no idea how confident we are coming into this game. And at that point, That was before, right? They had beaten the Ravens, and they hadn't played you guys yet, right? Um, And I was like, why is this guy so confident? And they just ran the ball down their throat. And I mean, they – and then you guys ran the ball well against them, and I just – I think the defense ha- has a lot of issues. Now, it can get better. Usually, it te- you know when you change coordinators on the defensive side of the ball, most people around the league tell me it takes you a good six, eight games to start getting to where you want to be. Um, but they have trouble at corner. I think Tyron was a good move in the middle. But you, you had two really good pass rushers. And now, and, and you kind of you got rid of both of them, and Justin Houston, who will be here Thursday, mm-hmm. and D Ford, and you just bring in just Frank Clark. Now he played brilliantly Monday night, but he hasn't done what the two of them were doing last year. They were lucky where they were in terms of red zone defense, turnovers, and and sacks. They don't have that this year. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's there's a lot of worry there. Um, And what they did offensively, it's just hard to replicate that two years in a row. I still think Pat is brilliant, and I think he is fantastic. Um, But to do what they did offensively again is – those are tough numbers to put up again. you got
0: to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Things have to be clicking. Okay, James Palmer with us, NFL Network. Now, the Eagles and the Patriots got together last weekend. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of strange when you think that two teams that participated in a Super Bowl a couple of years ago play a close one-score game – and the narrative after the game is what's wrong with the eagles and what's wrong with the patriots it's what's wrong with both teams and the patriots 9 and 1 i've never seen so many what's wrong with this 9 and 1 team yet it's happening because of the offense for new england
1: exactly and and that's been you know something that's been the narrative this entire year is this is the best defense, and I think Brady's comments are the ones that that, that are magnifying a lot of what we're talking about, right? Like, right. this is maybe the best defense he's ever played with, and that's saying something to where defense has won him his early Super Bowls. Um, this defense is incredible and in how opportunistic they are. Brady's out there literally saying, like, We're going to have to change, and this is the greatest thing about Brady, is that each year he changes how he plays the position, which I think is incredible. If you have Randy Moss and company, I'll go throw it uh, all over the place. If you need me to run the football, we can run the football. He will do anything to win. But now he's sitting there with a mentality, like, as long as we don't turn the football over and we can get three
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's remarkable because that Eagles defense is is not what we thought it would be. We thought it'd be a really good group up front and they've been decimated by injuries. Um Philly has had their problems, but you're right, this i haven't seen people be worried about a nine and one team. And I think that's kind of what happens if you spend any time up there. I think you've spent some time up there. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's worry at all costs. But they don't have a lot of skill players. It was a trick play that won the game, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Edelman throws a touchdown pass. He's 4-4 four for now, perfect quarterback rating for his career. Um, <laughs> he throws a touchdown pass that wins the game. And that's and, the and difference. That's what you have to do to beat an Eagles team that's, that's kind of struggling. Right. It's a little interesting, yeah.
0: It's weird because Dallas will visit the Patriots, and I guess Mm -hmm. I have to root for the Cowboys, which I don't like to do. But that's the number one offense in the league. Tough day for you, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, But the Patriots are here the following week. Do you want them fat and happy? Do you want them miserable? I don't know what I want. But the Cowboys will be up there. (laughs) What do you make of that? Because you do have an offense that's pretty prolific this year, anyway, against a really good defense.
1: Yeah, it's gonna. You know, what does Bill do? better than anybody else takes away what you do best right he yeah. always tries to find a way we saw stephan gilmore on on zach Ertz, you know on sunday on uh, for like mm-hmm. a good chunk of plays so what, what Ertz is your go-to guy let's try to find a way to take away Ertz. so like the interesting part about it is zeke has been averaging i think it's like below three yards a carry over the last hand handful of games and it was always zeke does this and he bangs the rock and he he handles it and that opens things up for dak what we're seeing right now over the last couple of weeks is things have been flipped, and it's Dax, the one who's taking care of business, and then maybe hopefully the run game gets moving. I, I, I want to see what they try to take away from, from that Dallas offense because we've seen them work differently as the year has gone on. Do you, mm-hmm. Am I describing that right? Yep. Like So I could see them being focused, like, all right, Zeke hasn't been doing it. Let's think about shutting this down, and then Zeke goes off. So I think that's going to be the interesting part about how they play them. But they adjust better than almost anybody. I mean, the Eagles marched at that 95-yard drive, uh, which was the longest drive the Patriots have given up in forever. And what happens? They don't score another point because they had a game plan, which Doug Peterson came up with that was really, really good um, because they don't have any wide receivers. We're going to do this, this, and this. Well, then Bill goes and adjusts what they're doing defensively, and the Eagles can't kick can't can't, can't on the board again. So I think it's going to be what does Bill try to take away first, and then how, do, how does Ken Dallas adjust? because we know Bill's going to adjust again.
0: You mentioned Mahomes and the Chiefs and how they're not high flying like they were last year. yet here they are seven and four, so they're yeah. doing okay relatively, but well relatively to this year. but you have the Rams with a Super Bowl encore. they appeared in the Super Bowl encore mm-hmm. performance, and they're not really lighting it up and no. they 're having some issues on both sides of the football, and look they might be in good shape here overall when it 's all said and done, but they 'll host the Ravens on Monday night, and my gosh, I mean Baltimore, I just saw them up close and personal, and they are a lot to handle. What do you think of that one? What do you think of McVeigh at this stage
1: it 's a tough spot right you know, and he did so much self evaluating after the Super Bowl, I mean almost to a point where it was almost nauseating to breaking down to what he did wrong and what he thought he could have done differently in that Super Bowl. But I think facts are facts in terms of players make plays, and they're not the same offensive line. And, and you know, you, you you don't have the same group up front. Todd Gurley is, in my opinion from – well, not really, I guess it's my opinion. My educated opinion from the people I've talked to is he's probably not going to be the same running back that he was probably for the rest of his career. So you change in that fact. All of a sudden, Aqib Talib gets 1,000 years old overnight, and mm-hmm. your secondary isn't what you thought it would be. Um, obviously, they made the big move that they did, but they they don 't have the same team they really right. don 't you know and and that 's been kind of i don 't know why people don 't talk about it as much They're like oh what 's going on with the Rams like they, they can 't do it against it 's not the same players right, so I do think that 's a big part of it i don 't see how they could beat the ravens i really don 't like i I said I forget who I was on with, somewhere in this country. They said, rank the top three AFC teams. And I was like, I think the Ravens are number one. And that was before they played you guys on Sunday. Right. And, and because I spent so much time with them during training camp, and I've done a couple of their games, and the manner in which they go about everything is they probably have the best secondary in football. Yep. They And, and they, they add Marcus Peters and get Jimmy Smith healthy. Like, they're good on all three levels of their defense – they run the football consistently. Mark Ingram is maybe one of the least talked about great pickups that a team has made this offseason. And Lamar plays. I see so many comparisons between Lamar and Deshaun, not just on the field but off the field. He runs that building like he knows everyone's name from the janitor to the to you know to the ownership. Like he is, as Mark Ingram would say, the dude. And like he, mm. it's it's incredible. When I did a joint practice with them against against the Jaguars it's one-on-one drills and he doesn't have Hollywood Brown out there and he's throwing dimes to like Willie Sneed. And like, uh, I can't even think, I think Jordan Matthews was there at like a time. And like, I'm like, you're doing this over AJ Boye and Jalen Ramsey. How is this hat? Like you could see it during training camp and he's only gotten better each week. So I don't know, unless something crazy happens injury wise, I don't see how the, the I don't see how the the Ravens don't continue to do what they've been doing.
0: That's the key thing. I mean, he's improving. You know, they all got to get better, yep. and, and you got to continue to do it. Otherwise, how do you cover
1: three tight ends? I mean, it's hard to have you know. the, the talent level on your defense to cover those three guys.
0: They so. use them uniquely. James Palmer, NFL Network, with us. All right. So, how's your life? A lot of travel. You last weekend off. Yeah. Sort which of. Which was
1: crazy. Yeah, it doesn't happen usually to me, but I did the whole week in London with you guys, and then I came back, and we So knew, you got a buy? I know, what, no, yeah, I kind of oh, got a bye. yeah. I guess oh, I did buy two weeks buy. later. Yeah, because so. I did your guys' game, and immediately when I got back, we knew Mahomes was going to be coming back. So I went to Kansas City for the week okay. to be with, you know, Pat's return, and I found And then you go to Nashville. That. And then I went to Nashville and did the game. Then I saw you guys a little bit last week leading into the Ravens' game, and they're like, you know what? You're going to be here all week this week. Uh, and then I have Chiefs, Raiders. I don't know what I have. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. So right. man, uh, yeah, I've, we've kind of been all over. It's been cool to catch some of these teams as they've gotten hot too, and kind of seen teams early in camp that we had a guess we're going to be good, and now it's kind of happening as we're coming around. But now it's like I got this little mini buy in the middle here because when the end of the season hits. It's it's you know my child forgets who I am and yeah. my wife doesn't think she's married and you know, just <laughs> because the playoffs happen and you spend the entire week in that city during the playoffs right it's not like pop in for a couple of days and then do the game it's you're there for the entire and week the Broncos and the are going.
0: unlikely to make it they are
1: not going <laughs> to make the playoffs I have not spent much the Broncos have not I do think Vic Fangio is a good coach I do think that um he's going to do some really really good things there but they've they been close they, they, oh my god it's been unbelievable I mean it's been. So, what was happening against Minnesota was r- remarkable, but they've had three other teams just march down the field with less than two minutes to go and, and win the game against them, and that's, that's crazy. The but Colts. The Colts game. I was there for the Bears game, which was a last-second mm. field goal. Um, Jags? I've known them three times. Yeah, the Jags <laughs> game. Yeah, the Jags was the other one um, where the Jags marched down the field. and so. Um, but anyway, the way they've played, I haven't been spending much time at home. So my homes are like here, Kansas City, Baltimore – Indy. Yeah, those are kind of my homes right now.
0: What do you make of Kubiak in Minnesota? And you and I both saw him this week doing some uh, media stuff, and it was kind of a, a strange sight, Kubiak in a Vikings hoodie.
1: Yeah, right, but it's the same Kubiak stance. It's the hands <laughs> in the middle of the hoodie, the shoulders kind of forward, kind of just got the feet rocking back and forth, and it's the same you know guy that you've seen uh, in all of the stops that he's had. And I've, I've put it out there a couple times, I think, on Twitter in the last maybe month, like, I, he's one of those people, and it's probably because you know Gary very well and I know Gary very well, super underrated, and I think people should look at his kind of his coaching tree if you want to call it Gary. And I don't think mm-hmm. anybody will ever call that Gary has a coaching tree, but um, super underrated guy, and I think what he's done um, in Minnesota was perfect because one thing is Kirk Cousins is not an easy dude to get along with. Um, he is a driven individual that wants things done uh, 100 miles an hour in his way. And I think Gary is the perfect guy to kind of be in there. Mm-hmm. He runs their scout team offense, which is he's having a blast doing. Um, wow. And then he goes on the other side and helps the defense about what he thinks would make things difficult for for Kirk, too. So he's getting to have his hands kind of interacting with all these different young players on the field which is what he loves to just get out there and just coach um that's probably why when he talked this week was the first time anybody's heard from him since training camp because he'd rather just go out there and and, and coach but all the different roles that he's put in uh to help them i think you should see that his fingerprints are all over what they've been able to do especially the last several weeks
0: you think he comes back i I mean if you know, he wants to know.
1: like he was asked he was asked that he was asked that and he said, you know, I, I had my chance to be a head coach. I'm really liking what I'm what I'm doing right now. Um
0: In other words, Rhonda says no. Rhonda says
1: no. <laughs> but I mean he said he was going to retire from coaching and now yeah. he's back, you know, in a role. But the role that he's in now, like I said, he's kind of helping out with all these other things. He goes home a lot sooner than yeah he used to go home That's if big. he ever went home at all. Um I think if he was a head coach again. He's only wired one way to do it the way that he does it, um, and so I think that would be the tricky part because you mentioned Ronda like having, mm-hmm. you know, going home early. As His a son is at
0: Strake Jesuit, maybe high school. You never maybe, know.
1: Yeah, inclines with the scout with the Cowboys now. Hmm. Um. Hey, you never know.
0: You never know. Never James, know. thanks a lot for joining us. We yeah, appreciate no it. No
1: problem. This is fantastic.
0: There's James Palmer from NFL Network now. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, love talking to the voice of the opposing team every week, but especially Matt, who's a wealth of information about Indy. And I started out by asking him his level of surprise in the way, not that the Colts beat the Jags, but the way they beat the Jags, the lopsided score.
2: Yeah, I really was, to be honest with you. It, you know, going into the game, the Colts had played ten straight, or I should say nine straight, you know, one-score games. So there, there was really no reason to think you know last sunday was going to be any different in, in terms of how the game was going to play out and i thought it was going to come down to the wire just like all the the rest of them but you know the colts really played their best half of football i thought in the second half against jacksonville they outscored them 23 to i think six uh you know a late touchdown late in the game uh for jacksonville but they just played a really compliment uh, a complimentary, you know, second half for the offense, you know, got the ball to start with. They scored touchdowns on their first two drives of the uh, the second half. The defense has been playing lights out lately. You know, special teams played great with Adam Vinatieri bouncing back and knocking down all five of his kicks, including the PAT. So I thought it was their best, you know, complete performance uh, you know, for an entire game, but specifically that second half. I just didn't see them running for two hundred and sixty four yards like they did against that, you know, Jacksonville front, which is pretty good. I mean, you guys know they've got Calais Campbell up front and Unique Ngakway and, and uh, you know, the rookie, they're a fantastic rookie out of Kentucky in the first round, so Credit to Indianapolis for kind of regrouping after two clunkers, two bad losses, and getting a much win against a, a good Jacksonville team. But now the Colts are 3-0 and in the division. That's probably the most important thing about that win against Jacksonville. They're now undefeated in the division with obviously a huge one coming up on Thursday night.
0: Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. Okay, the running game. Without Mac. what's it going to be like trying to run the Rock? You still have those big guys up front, and I imagine that's a huge part of the equation.
2: Yeah, I mean, as long as they've got their, you know, their, their starting five offensive line intact, which they do, I think they should be okay. You know, numbers wise, you know, in terms of the stats, it's kind of a misleading stat. Without Marlon Mack since 2017, the Colts are rushing for about 76 yards per game. With Mack in the lineup, you know, the last two years plus, that number is about 120 rushing yards per game. So it, it, it drops off. Uh, big-time historically, but I don't think that's going to be the case going forward because the Colts really have a ton of depth uh, at running back. They've got Jordan Wilkins, second-year player, kind of been a role player, so he's obviously in line for more. And then you have to really feel good about what Jonathan Williams provides because I mean he's coming off a game where I mean, he got his opportunity, and he certainly cashed in with 116 rushing yards, on, you know, 13 attempts. I mean, before that, his season high was one, you know, the week before against the Dolphins. But he's a guy the Colts have really liked for a long time. He hasn't been active because it's been a numbers game uh, for him. But credit to him for always staying ready to go on the practice squad. And then once he was brought up late last year, he's, you know, he's been given a great look on the scout team. Uh, and You know, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard behind closed doors, they always say to themselves, did you see that run today by Jonathan Williams in practice, or did you see what number 33 did in training camp? I was really happy to see him get his opportunity and cash in with it, you know, with that big game against the uh, the Jaguars. So I think the Colts should be okay running the football. I think it's going to be more by committee. They'll split up those carries kind of three ways when you also throw in Naeem Hines in there as well. But I don't expect any one of those guys to be a bell cow running back and, and, and run the football like Marlon Mack does about 19 or 20 times a game.
0: Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts joining us. Now, TY Hilton is one thing, but what about the other pass catchers cuz it seems like against the Texans it doesn't matter who's playing, they tend to make plays.
2: Yeah, that that's I mean, the Colts, they are who they are right now in terms of an offensive identity. They are going to run the ball first. That's what they want to do. I mean, they're a top 5 rushing team. You know, the passing numbers are reflected in that. You know, they're a, they're a bottom you know, seven-team in passing. And that's not because Jacoby Brissett can't throw the football. Uh, It's just because of, you know, their offensive identity is to run it first. Now, that being said, you know, without T.Y. Hilton, without Paris Campbell, without Devin Funches, the Colts are down to, you know, some guys they didn't see or forecast playing a ton this season. You know, guys like, you know, Chester Rogers, you know, being in that front three mix at wide receiver. You know, Ashton Doolin, same thing with – you know, Marcus Johnson who got, you know, pulled off the practice squad a couple of weeks ago. Uh those guys have had a, a difficult time winning their one on one matchups and the Colts do not stretch the field very often. I think they're, you know, one of the um you know bottom seven teams in terms of explosive plays, plays over twenty five yards, things of that nature. Uh, I think they only have two in the last four games, you know, passing plays over twenty five. So, you know, it's gonna be really interesting for me in this game, Mark stylistically to see who the Colts are because in that first game the Colts had a pretty good idea against the Texans what they had to do to beat Houston and that was throw the ball you know Jacoby Brissett dropped back to throw 39 times completed a uh or had a career high with 326 yards passing career high and four touchdowns it was his best uh passer rating game of his career so I'll be interested to see what the Colts think they have to do in this game in order to win it can they run the ball against the Texans who got gashed against you know Baltimore up front uh the Colts really don't look like Baltimore offensively so I'm not sure how much that translates but it'll be interesting to see if the Colts can run the ball better in this game and maybe mix in the run versus the pass in the second go around against the Texans knowing the Colts are depleted as of right now at receiver they're down their top three you know wide receivers at the start of training camp heading into the regular season.
0: Texans want to play clean. That's no secret. Everybody does. They can't afford to turn it over like last time. What about the defensive side of the ball for Indy? What's it looking like going into Thursday?
2: Uh, they're playing their best football of the season right now. I mean, the Colts are giving up just about 70 rushing yards per game in their last five. They've held three of their last five opponents to under 100 yards rushing. Darius Leonard's really coming on. Anthony Walker, at middle linebacker, is really coming on. The The, the pressure is... Uh, more productive lately. Justin Houston has eight sacks on the season now. He's got a sack in six consecutive games. So they're playing their best football of the season. Then in the secondary, uh, they're they're not giving up the big plays. They're really good inside the red zone in this five game stretch. The only bad thing is heading into this game. Uh, you know, they may have won the war or uh, the battle, I should say, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you're a Colts fan, you just hope that they didn't lose the war going forward because they had so many uh, guys banged up in that game, specifically in the secondary. Rock Yassine got banged up. Kari Willis isn't going to play in this game because he's got a concussion. Pierre Desir hasn't played since that week six game against the uh, the Houston Texans with a nagging hamstring injury. Um, Clayton Gathers has been in and out of the lineup this year because of some stuff. Um, so they're really, really thin right now uh, in the secondary, especially at cornerback. So I would expect to see Quincy Wilson active in this game. He hasn't been the last couple of weeks. Um, I, would, I would expect to see him play, and I would expect to see him have a big role because uh, the Colts being thin numbers-wise uh, in the back end.
0: All right, your guys, Matt, asked me if these two teams are going to be back in the postseason in January. What is your feeling on that, on how it's going to play out the rest of the way in the division? i got to imagine Thursday's result has a lot to do with that, but what are your feelings right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, for the Colts, uh, I can only speak on behalf of the Colts. I think that if the Colts, you know, just, just knowing what I know right now, obviously their best chance is to win the division to make the postseason. Uh, I think that wild card race is going to be really, really tight. And the bad part about the Colts in terms of the wild card is the Colts have dropped some games they shouldn't have, you know, on the road to Pittsburgh, who I don't think is going to make the postseason, so that hurts. Same is true for, you know, a really, really, really bad loss to Miami. Uh, The Colts lost a home game to Oakland uh, back in the early part of the season, so that's going to hurt because Oakland is, uh, is in the mix for a wild card. I mean, Buffalo's right there some other teams are in the mix. I think record-wise it's going to be tough for the Colts uh to get into the wild card because of, you know, some head-to-head matchups they 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 dropped that they probably shouldn't have that are going to come back to bite them uh when you know you get into ramifications later in the season like weeks 15, 16 and 17. Uh, I think if the Colts win this game coming up on Thursday, they'll they will essentially have a two game lead over Houston uh, with five games to go. You like their chances to win the division if that's the case, because there'll be a, a game up and then they'll have the tiebreaker over Houston with a with a sweep on the season. Um, so, you know, I, I don't I don't think the Colts are looking past these Houston Texans in terms of the the, the playoffs. Uh, but I, I fully expect that if the Colts win this game, they'll make the playoffs by winning the division. And that's a good thing because the Colts' wild card chances just don't look great at the moment as we sit here and talk right now.
0: So you're with me. I've given it the long title Thursday's game of the way-too-early-to-say-it unofficial AFC South Championship game.
2: <laughs> I always say de facto, right? We're always <laughs> usually talking about this game being played in December at Lucas Oil Stadium you know, like midway through the month, like weeks 14 or 15, like it's always going to come down to this game to to see which team represents the AFC South. It's just about three weeks sooner this year, but I think the ramifications are the same. Whoever wins this game, I think, is going to have the leg up to, to represent the AFC South in the playoffs.
0: Well, I'm with you on that thought of why did the schedule makers put this ditty in December? I mean, this thing belongs in the final couple of weeks of the season, third to last week. At the outside, I mean, this is this is always about the division here, and I can't believe they didn't do it that way.
2: Well, it's you know it's prime time, so maybe some more eyeballs on it, right? Thursday night football division matchup, you know. So I understand it from from that standpoint. If you're a Colts fan, the one major gripe you have as far as a schedule the schedule makers are concerned is the Colts have played. Now, this will be the seventeenth time the Colts have played on Thursday night football, and the twelfth time they played on the road. So I'm not sure what it is about the Colts and not being able to get home games on Thursday night on short weeks. But I'm sure Texans fans don't care because, you know, the Texans or the Colts have, have had, you know, a reasonably good amount of success at NRG Stadium. So I'm sure they don't care about the Colts' plight having to travel on a short week.
0: Well, it's very interesting you, you say that. Yeah, because you look at the history of the Thursday night matchups here. 2011, Dan Orlovsky as a Colt beats the Texans. We mm-hmm. all know about Matt Hasselbeck with Montezuma's Revenge or whatever in 2015. The 2014 game, Thursday night, you traveled both those times. So who knows? I- I'm with you. I think the road team always has a disadvantage on Thursday night. Hey, let me ask you this. You're still working with J- Jim Sorgi, right? Correct, yeah. Does Sorgi have any good Peyton Manning stories for you? Do you ever get that out of him?
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. and He, he safeguards that relationship with Peyton. You know, Jim and I are very, very good friends. But even I have a hard time, you know, cracking that code to get inside <laughs> the film room with those two guys together. Um, but, you know, he, they're still very close. You know, Peyton will send them texts. You know, uh, the, the most recent example is, you know, Peyton sent him a text of what he was for Halloween, you know, sent him a picture. So that was pretty cool. But, you know, Jim is a very, as you would imagine, playing with Peyton all those years. But just on his own, plus the Peyton Manning relationship, he is one of the most cerebral uh football minds i've ever been around and i watch practice with him and he points things out and he sees things and he's able to just identify things so quickly on you know what's coming or what they're trying to do. So being able to call a game with him every Sunday is a real treat. And I honestly, you know, honest, honest to goodness, learn something every every Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, being with him and calling a game with him.
0: It's got to be one of the best jobs in the history of sports to be Peyton Manning's backup in Indianapolis. <laughs> Matt Taylor, <laughs> Voice it's, not, the... it's
2: not it's not as glamorous as you would think. He's got some war stories where where Peyton would rip into him, and you know, there's wow. it's not just holding it's not just holding the clipboard on Sunday. There's a Jim was Jim had a huge hand in a role on the game planning and the strategy every Sunday for that offense.
0: That's awesome. Well, they did very well. Uh, one <laughs> yeah, more for I'll you say. here, Matt. How is Manning looked at in Indy? Was there a bitter feeling about him going to Denver and winning a Super Bowl with the Broncos? And if there was, are they over that? What's the relationship like?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's always going to be a minority of people that were um that are going to be hell-bent on you know he shouldn't have he shouldn't have gone or the Colts shouldn't have released him. but you just have to put yourself in the Colts shoes back in that 2011 uh year they were just in a in a no-win situation because of the unknowns I mean we're talking about a guy that could not say definitively for himself how he was going to feel the doctors and trainers couldn't predict how it was going to go I mean at that time in the off-season of March of 2011, no one knew if that neck was going to come back, and if if Peyton was ever going to play again, and if he would be the same guy, even if he did step back on the field. So, with a two and fourteen season, and with a a home run prospect out there like Andrew Luck, and a can't miss seemingly you know number one overall draft pick, they had to make that move, and so they did what was best for their organization. Um, and you know, you you can argue the way the the Luck. Tenure ended. You know, it is what it is. But at the time, it was, in my opinion, a no brainer. And so, I don't think, you know, I would say ninety five percent of of Colts fans have uh, no remorse um, over Peyton Manning leaving and winning a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. I thought. Most of Indianapolis was very happy for him, and they certainly rooted for him uh, in those Super Bowls um, with the Denver Broncos. the The thing that drives me crazy is when he would come back and play the Colts, and you would you would see those split jerseys you know, half orange, half Colts. Those, <laughs> those drove me crazy. You either you're either a Colts fan or a Peyton Manning fan, so you got to pick one. I, I just I, I never really understood that concept, but um, you know Peyton when he comes. I mean, he was just here two weeks ago. Uh, when the team inducted Dwight Freeney into the Ring of Honor. Um, So he was back for that. And so whenever he's back in the stadium and makes an appearance on the big jumbotron at Lucas Oil Stadium, the place just goes crazy. I mean, he's a folk hero here. He'll always be that. Um, He'll always be the guy that guided the Colts to their uh, first Super Bowl championship in Indianapolis. He's He's got a statue out front of Lucas Oil, for crying out loud. So this city, this state, owes a ton to Peyton Manning. I mean, you talk about the Super Bowl coming here, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that Lucas Oil Stadium is even built. It's, a wreck, it's because of, indirectly because of all the success the Colts had all those 12 and 4 years that, that Peyton orchestrated. So, I mean, you could say that the, the economy and uh, the notoriety of Indianapolis is indirectly tied to what Peyton Manning did and the success of the Colts in those you know, mid to 2,000 years.
0: Excellent stuff, Matt. Hey, we appreciate the time as always. Safe travels here. We look forward to seeing
2: you Thursday night. You got it, Mark. Thanks for having me on, and uh, have a great call coming up.
0: There's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Thanks to James Palmer from NFL Network as well for being on the podcast today. It was a fun one, and let's hope for a fun game Thursday night. And you can get other podcasts regarding the Texans right here where you get this one or wherever fine podcasts are available. Have a great day, everyone, and go Texans!